The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, please open your Bible to the book of Proverbs. We're going to do a, we did a series a few years ago at my church through the book of Proverbs. And many important topics are covered in that book. And what we're going to cover this evening is the wisdom of God and the pride of man, what the Bible says about pride, specifically in the book of Proverbs, and also, of course, illustrated in other parts of Scripture. We will begin in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 24. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 24. Let's go ahead and stand as we read together the word of God, and then we'll read Proverbs 21, 24, and then we'll pray and get started in our study. Proverbs 21 and verse 24. Proud and haunty, scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for every blessed opportunity we have to gather together as your people, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we ask that by your spirit you would open our minds, our hearts to the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, as we realize and understand the danger of pride and repent of it in our own life. Grant us Christ-like humility to walk with you faithfully, trusting not in ourselves but in you and your sufficiency. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to share your word We pray that you would work through your word by your spirit in the life of everyone gathered here tonight. May Christ be honored and glorified, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have many illustrations throughout history of prideful people. One of the ones that sticks out to me in my mind is the French conqueror by the name of Napoleon. Of course, he's known of having that very interesting looking hat that he usually wore. He was a proud man driven by ambition to conquer Europe, and he almost succeeded until he went into that famous battle in Waterloo against the English. As he was getting ready for that famous battle, he said to his commander before the campaign began, we will put the infantry here, the cavalry over here, the artillery on this spot, and at the end of the day, he said, England will be at the feet of France, and Wellington will be the prisoner of Napoleon. The commanding officer responded to Napoleon and said, But we must not forget that man proposes, but God disposes. With typical arrogance, the little dictator pulled up his little five-foot-two frame with anger and says, I want you to understand something, Napoleon said. I want you to understand, sir, that Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. Victor Hugo, the novelist, wrote, quote, From that moment, Waterloo was lost, for God sent rain and hail so that the troops of Napoleon could not maneuver as he had planned. And on the night of the battle, it was Napoleon who was the prisoner of Wellington, and France was at the feet of England. If you were to ask me what are the most fundamental of all sins, what it is, it is the sin of pride. Pride is basic to all other sins. It is simply an exaggerated and dishonest self-evaluation. It was the sin that began sin. For it was in the heart of Lucifer, the Bible records that he said, I will be like the Most High, and he was filled with pride. In fact, the whole book of Obadiah, was written against the pride of the Edomites. They are pictured, the Edomites, as rejoicing at the fall of Jerusalem. And in Obadiah, in verse 3, it says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock. The capital of Edom, being Petra, was high up in the rocks, and virtually speaking, militarily speaking, it was unconquerable. As a result of their military power and prowess, they thought they could not be defeated, and they mocked as Jerusalem was conquered. But nonetheless, though they were exalted to the heavens in pride, 
God said he would bring them down, and he did. The prophet Obadiah predicted that God was against prideful Edom. The sin of pride carries with it God's swiftest and most severe judgment. Pride blinds us to all the other sins in our life. It will hinder you from repenting of them. Pride, someone said, is like the aids of the soul, the acquired immune deficiency syndrome of the soul. When a person dies as a result of acquiring AIDS, they actually don't technically die of AIDS, but rather an AIDS-complicated disease, since AIDS breaks down a person's immune system to resist all other diseases, and it's the other diseases that kill. Like AIDS, pride blinds you not only to itself, but also to every other sin tucked away in our life, in our heart. It causes you to hate correction. Pride will cause you to hate Reproof, it hides your sin from you, it justifies your sin, it excuses your sin, and it keeps you from repenting of your sin. It deceives into thinking that you're spiritually okay when yet you're not okay, you're not right with God. One Christian author wrote a letter, and this is what she wrote. My name is Pride, I'm a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you always demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because, well, you already know everything. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of me to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than through a window. I cheat you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own glory. My name is Pride. I'm a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you, but that's not true. I'm looking to make you a fool. God has so much for you, I admit, but don't worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know it. I am pride. Let's look, first of all, in the book of Proverbs, number one, at the characteristics of proud people. What are the characteristics of proud people as found in the book of Proverbs? Several interesting characteristics. Number one tonight, a prideful person has contempt for the Lord. A prideful person has contempt for the Lord. We see this here in Proverbs 21, verse 24, that proud and haughty scorner is his name. Now, the Hebrew word translated scorner here is frequently found in the book of Proverbs. It means to deride, to boast as to express utter contempt. It means to brag with hatred in the heart towards others. The scorner has contempt, a hatred for God and for God's truth. We see this illustrated throughout history. We see this in the life of a king by the name of Belshazzar in Daniel chapter number 5. Daniel, of course, is in his 80s or 90s at this time. Belshazzar is there in Babylon, and on the outskirts of Babylon at this time, the Medo-Persian Empire has surrounded him, but he's so confident, so cocky and arrogant, that he is partying in the face of the army that surrounds Babylon. He's so confident the walls are impenetrable, he can't be conquered. And so he decides, in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar, to throw a party. But not only is he going to throw a party, but he's going to get drunk, and the vessels that will carry his alcohol, his wine, his mocker, if you will, are the very holy vessels that were taken earlier by his grandfather from the temple in Jerusalem. So not only is he going to get drunk, but he's going to blaspheme the God of heaven. He's going to take the very vessels that were used in the temple in Jerusalem years earlier, for the worship of God, and he was going to use it to party it up on that night, and so he did. Got together with all the other governmental officials, all his concubines and wives, and they began to party. And in the midst of the party, a hand comes out and begins to write on the wall, we can call it divine graffiti. He is so shocked and scared, the Bible says his knees begin to knock. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad when your knees begin to knock. Now, that means you're really scared. He was shocked. He didn't know what this meant. And so he called the psychic network. And they couldn't help him. They couldn't decipher what was written on the wall. 
until one of the queens came to the queen mother and told him, there is a man whom the Spirit of God dwells. Your father, meaning your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, used to get advice from him. His name is Daniel. Call for him so he can come and tell you the interpretation. Why do you have to call for Daniel? Because the godly man, he wasn't partying with the wicked. That's why. They had a call for Daniel to come because he wasn't there. There's some places God's people should not be. And Daniel was not there, partying, getting drunk with them. So they called Daniel over, and Daniel gives the interpretation. And Belshazzar says, I'm going to give you a gold chain, and you will be third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel says, I don't want that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you what it means. I'm not looking for position. Daniel tells him that it basically is symbolic of the fact that judgment that night will fall and he will die and his kingdom has been given to another kingdom. O Belshazzar, Daniel told him, Thou hast not humbled thy heart. Though thou knew all this, you knew what God did to your grandfather and yet you didn't humble yourself with pride. You scorned the God of heaven. Daniel said, But you have lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. The very God whose hand thy breath is, the very God who is sovereign over your life to save or to damn, your life is in his hands, and yet with scorn in your prideful heart you have done this. All your ways, you have not glorified God. Indeed, Belshazzar was a scoffer, and God took him down, for at the end of that party, ultimately the Persians came in, as history records, and killed him and executed him. The scoffer represents the lowest possible descent into foolishness. It is pride to the extreme. We could say it's pride on steroids. Well, the person just is proud and haughty. A prideful person has contempt for the Lord. Secondly, a prideful person is self-absorbed. A prideful person is self-absorbed. Again, Proverbs 21 and verse 24 says, Proud and haunty scorner is his name. The word here, haunty, describes someone who is absorbed in self, who has thus lost all perspective. He overestimates his own worth. Interesting that this word from Hebrew to English translated haunty is found in one other place. It is found in the book of Habakkuk, Chapter 2 and verse 5. In Habakkuk 2 5, it describes a man who is drunk, and because he is drunk, he does not have an accurate view of himself. In fact, because he's drunk and full of pride, he thinks he deserves everything. In his prideful arrogance, he thinks he deserves it all. In Habakkuk 2 5, it says, Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. He deserves it all because of his pride. Having too highly evaluated himself, the scorner presumes that he has a right to things that are not his. I think of an illustration of this as King Uzziah. Majority of his life, certainly he was a godly king in the nation of Judah. But towards the end of his life, as he began to prosper, 2 Chronicles chapter 26 tells us that King Uzziah's heart was lifted up to his destruction. Beginning to get prideful. He was a king, but he was not a priest. But nevertheless, he took to himself a position that did not belong to him. He thought, I could worship the Lord like the priest could. I can go offer incense like the sons of Aaron. I could do that. I don't. Who, who wants to take the Bible so literally anyways, these narrow-minded fundamentalist priests? He was going to do it on his own. And so he did, and then the high priest Azariah and 80 other godly, valiant, courageous priests confronted the king. And they told Uzziah, as he's, getting, as he's literally offering incense in the temple, what are you doing? God in his word has not given you this privilege, but the sons of Aaron. In your pride, you've lifted up your heart to your destruction. Stop! What are you doing? You've gone nuts because of your pride. He got angry. It was the king. And as he began to speak in anger, as he's holding the incense, leprosy as, the, as a result of God's judgment began on his forehead and spread out through his whole body. And he died a terrible death. 
Uzziah was an example towards the end of his life of a man who was obsessed with self and his own self-worth. Pride is simply being self-absorbed with a sense of one's own importance. Spurgeon once said, Pride is so natural to fallen men that it springs up in his heart like weeds in a watered garden or rushes by a flowing brook. It is an all-pervading sin and smothers all things like dust in the roads or flour in the mill. Its every touch is evil. You may hunt down this fox and think you have destroyed it. And lo, your very exaltation is pride. None have more pride than those who dream they have none. A prideful person is self-absorbed. And if there ever was a prideful society that is the society we can label the selfie society, it is ours. Number three, a prideful person will not be corrected. They will not be corrected. The person with unapproachable pride cannot be corrected, reproved, or confronted. Look with me at Proverbs 9, 7. Proverbs 9, 7. Proverbs 9, 7, the word of God reads, He that reproveth the scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man giveth himself a blot. Verse 8, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Verse 9, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The Bible tells you, if you correct a scoffer, you will only get abuse in return. If you rebuke a wicked man, he will turn on you. He will even want to assault you. The way in which a man receives biblical rebuke, the way a man receives biblical correction is an index to his true character before God. A scoffer hates you. A wise man will thank you. He took the time to explain the error of his way. That you corrected him biblically. A wise man will thank you, but a scoffer will hate you. I wonder, how do you react when a teacher, an employer, or a friend corrects you? How does the average person respond when a preacher rebukes them, or corrects them, or points out error in their life? Well, being a pastor of 15 years, there's so many stories to tell. <laughs> of, ta- of, of telling someone the nicest possible way. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. Tell them, I love you, I pray for you. Boy, you think of every nice thing you can think of to say to them. But, there's this issue in your life. You, you, you are, your testimony is dragging the name of Christ through the mud. The way you're living contradicts the very gospel you profess to believe. Man, you need to repent of your sin. How dare you tell me what's up? How dare you trying to be Lord over me? Hey, hey, calm, calm down. You forgot that part, I love you? <laughs> Here's a king, prideful Amaziah. Amaziah of Judah, he would not be corrected. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25, it came to pass that he went to war against the Edomites, and he had conquered them. And what was common among kings in the Middle East is when you would conquer a people, you would also take their gods. To show that your gods whoop their gods. But the problem was that Amaziah took the gods of the Edomites and he brought them home, built an altar, and then bowed down to them. I think this is really odd. You conquered those gods and now you're worshiping their gods? It it may be something more, by the way, than just plain foolishness. That's part of it. There may be something demonic behind these idols. But nonetheless, Amaziah is bowing before these idols. Then to ruin it all, God calls a preacher. Usually to ruin the fun. And the preacher came and confronted Amaziah and told him what he's doing is wicked. These gods couldn't deliver the Edomites. How much more will they not deliver you? And point out the foolishness and the rebellion of idolatry. Oh, and Amaziah got angry. Very angry. He wanted to kill the preacher for delivering this message. Amaziah would not be corrected by the man of God. Look at Proverbs 13.1. Proverbs 
Proverbs 13.1, the word of God tells us here, A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Listen, the smartest thing a believer can do is be teachable. Be willing to learn the word of God. Be willing to submit to its truth even when it rubs you wrong. A wise son will hear his father's instruction, his, his father's biblical counsel, and will learn. We ought to make ourselves available each Lord's Day to learn the Word of God. There's many medicines you can take an overdose, but you cannot overdose on the Word of God. Did you know that? Proverbs 14, 16 reminds us, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but a fool rages and is confident. A, a wise man, he will grow in his fear, his fear of the Lord. He'll be careful. A prideful man, well, he's full of self-confidence. He's so arrogant, he doesn't think he has anything to learn. He, he can't be corrected as a result of his pride. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get the lessons God has for him. I was told about a very arrogant and overconfident young man who would not be corrected. Before he mounted the plane to get on his trip, an old wise preacher was talking to him about his soul, showing him that a man's life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And told the young man, you ought not to boast yourself in tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day will bring forth. Young man, you could perish by the end of the day and stand before your maker. The young man laughed in pride, thinking, man, I got many years ago, ago old man, who are you to tell me I'm going to die today? Many years until I die. Just full of overconfidence, he didn't get it. He was on a four-engine airliner. In the, in the middle of the flight, the pilot comes on the intercom and makes the announcement. Those of you on the left side of the plane have probably noticed that one of our engines has failed. But don't be alarmed. We can still fly on three engines, but we'll probably be around 15 minutes late. A few minutes later, another calm voice comes on board on the intercom and says, Those of you on the right side of the plane are probably aware that our second engine has failed, but do not be alarmed. We can make it on two engines, for though we will probably be now around 30 minutes late, not 15 minutes late. A few minutes later, the pilot got on again and spoke to the pastors, and the arrogant young man is listening to all this, thinking, I'm going to make it. It has just come to my attention, the pilot said, the third engine has failed. Please don't be alarmed. We can make it to the airport on one engine, but now we will be 45 minutes delayed. The arrogant young man turned to his pastor next to him and said, boy, I hope that fourth engine doesn't fail. We can be up here all night. Like this passenger, the proud fool just doesn't get it. His pride blinds him to his own ignorance. Number four. A prideful person thinks highly of his opinions. A prideful person thinks highly of his opinions. Look at Proverbs 18.2. Someone said of opinions, they're usually like armpits. Everyone has them, they usually stink. <laughs> Proverbs 18.2. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. That is, here this antithetical proverb lays bare the unteachable, arrogant spirit of a fool. He has no interest in learning, but he wants to give you a piece of his mind. He doesn't have anything to learn himself, because he already knows everything. But he wants to tell you what's up. He's always willing to speak, but never willing to be quiet and listen. Normally, a fool at least looks wise when he doesn't speak. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. Right? Even a fool goes, hmm. At least he looks wise when he says, hmm. Then he opens his mouth and proves that he's not wise. Because of his pride, he is so busy wanting to speak that he, he doesn't want to listen to others. Pastor, I have a question, a Bible question. 
It has to be maybe with some area of controversy, worldly music or something controversial. But before I'm even done giving the answer, they're already interrupting me. Well, the Bible says, Liberty! Liberty! Hold on, I'm not even done with my answer here. They're not even willing to listen. They have so much that they want to say. They really, I found out in many years, both in prison and in church, not everybody who asks the question really wants a biblical answer. Some just want to justify themselves what they already believe, and they don't want to change according to the Word of God. The fool has a closed mind, but a wide open mouth. He is independent, unteachable, accountable to no one. He thinks highly of his own opinions. These are the characteristics of proud people. Secondly, the book of Proverbs also shows us the consequences of pride. Roman numeral number two, the consequences of pride. Certain consequences will follow when a person is stuck in pride and unwilling to repent of it. Number one, Pride will bring unnecessary hurt to you. It will bring some hurt you can't avoid, some you can avoid. Pride will bring unnecessary hurt to you. Look at Proverbs 15 and verse 32. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 32. Proverbs 15:32. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. Here, pride and arrogance will be a factor encouraging a person to ignore godly counsel given to them. The proud person feels he doesn't need instruction. He doesn't need any type of correction or discipline. It's irrelevant. It applies to other people, not to him. He refuseth, this is a, a very strong word, it means to ignore, to completely avoid the counsel given. The arrogant pair person loses grip on instruction, or he loses the value of biblical correction. He goes as far to ignore and to avoid biblical correction like the plague. When he behaves this way, Solomon states that he, he despises his own soul. He will bring hurt unto his own life. Proverbs 14.3 In Proverbs 14.3, the Word of God says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. The prideful fool will have to take a beating because of his own arrogance. I have a relative... I believe he's still alive, somewhere in the Los Angeles area. But growing up as a boy, he was obviously a drunkard. He was enslaved to alcohol. He was the most mellow, kind, soft-spoken man you've ever known. Mijo, how are you? Uncle Dill, I'm fine. It's good. It's a kind guy. But the moment he got a couple of drinks down, Oh, man, he became like Mayweather. What's up? What are you looking at? Hey, hey calm down, Theo. Someone's just driving by. This guy became the best boxer anyone's ever seen. This guy wanted to fight everybody. The meek kitty cat became a lion. He was willing to fight anybody. Man, he turned into a total different person. The, the pride that was in him was now spewing out of his mouth. He was itching for a fight. And boy, he found a lot of them. In fact, once he was beaten so bad and stabbed multiple times and left at the river for dead, they found him and he spent close to a month in the hospital recovering, got out within a few weeks, he was back to the bottle. And every time he would drink, man, the words that would come out, man, he would challenge anyone to a fight. Just wink at him wrong, he's going to take you out. Like, what, what, what is this? What is he thinking? Just... The arrogance that was in him the moment he took alcohol, it just came out of his mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it just, the, the pride would just come out. And you see this, that because of their pride, he received a beating. And he still didn't learn. 
In the city of Delano, many of the areas in the city are pretty rough. Not all, but some of many of them. And I, when I first got there, I didn't know which one was really the rough area, non-rough area, I found out. And one night, my wife and I went to go make a visit. I don't know how we met this person. I think we met him door knocking or something. And we're cruising down. It was in the evening time, summer night. And there I am driving my car. You know, I'm shirt and tied. Don't look particularly gangster. And I'm driving. I look. I think that's the address. I'm not sure, so I hook around. I drive again. I think that's the oh, because I drove two times by this guy's house. Man, he came out like a roaring lion, challenging to fight me, yelling at me, "Get off the car!" The what? I could run you over, man. What are you doing? You're challenging to a fight. You're not a. You're just a man. The pridefulness, and the guy was obviously very prideful and very much in a fighting spirit, and it's only a matter of time till you'll find someone to take you up on your offer and take you down. And the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. There will be hurt as a result of a prideful spirit. Pride will bring unnecessary hurt to you. Number two, pride will bring shame to you. Pride will bring shame to you. Proverbs 11.2. Look with me at Proverbs 11.2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. The word translated pride comes from a word meaning to boil. Thus it describes an arrogant insubordination. It pictures one whose view of life and his circumstances is full of himself, full of his abilities rather than, rather than God and his awesomeness. Pride, first pride, then a fall that comes with great shame because of pride. I think of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, the conqueror of the known world of that day, Daniel 4 reads sort of like a, like a track, a testimony of his salvation. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, receives a vision, a dream. And in his dream, he sees this large tree that goes up into the heavens and its branches cover the world and the world come and eats from the fruit of this tree and the birds of, of the air come and nest there and the nations are fed. And then in the middle of this dream, a watcher, that is an angel, comes from heaven and chops down that tree. And then only the stump is left and an iron brace is placed on the stump for seven times that is, for seven years. The king doesn't know what to do, so he asks his astrologers and all these other guys that were to advise him, and no one knew what to tell him. Until Daniel was brought in, a man full of the spirit of godly wisdom. And he asked Daniel, what does this dream mean? Daniel says, I, I wish the interpretation of this dream fell to your enemies. It is so horrible. And Daniel and horror stood silent for one hour. And then Daniel tells you, I'll tell you what it means. This represents you and your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. God has given you the nations. And you have conquered the nations because God has granted you this. And you have fed the nations. That tree is new, you, O Nebuchadnezzar. But pride has lifted your heart up. You need to realize that the true king of kings and the sovereign over the nations is the Lord God, not you. And because you're proud and arrogant, God will cut you down and you will lose your mind and you will act like a beast for seven years. And then after you know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will, then after seven years I will restore your mind and your kingdom. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is interesting. It's almost like the sermon came in one ear, whoop, whoop, and out the other ear. He's just like, amen, amen, and he didn't get it. For one year after this time, Daniel told him, man, repent. Ask God that he would have mercy on you. You're still responsible before God. Cry out to him, repent of your sins. Do works of mercy. And he did it. After one year, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
descends and he looks upon his nation. And he says, Is not this great, great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty? He began to brag about all of his works. Here's a man, by the way, whose bricks by the thousands have been found in Babylon, and inscribed on the bricks are, I am Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. I am Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. I, he wanted everyone to know that he's Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. A prideful, arrogant man. A great builder. One who built, just in the area of Babylon alone, 17 magnificent temples of false gods. And yet the same hour, God announces judgment upon him. And he falls, he loses his mind, he strips his clothes, and he runs like a mad animal and becomes like an ox. He begins to eat grass. He loses his mind for seven years. God did this to teach him a lesson that God rules, not man. That the ultimate sovereign of the nations, of the universe, is almighty God, not man. God humbled him, and the king who was at one time dressed in gorgeous robes. He's now running around naked. The very man who had for dinner and for lunch and for breakfast a hometown buffet, Golden Corral, if you will, now he's eating grass like an animal. Because of his pride and his arrogance, God humbled him down. God brought him to great shame until he repented of his sins after seven years. And he knew that the Most High, he ruleth in the heavens and among the kingdom of men. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God rules. And because of his pride and his arrogance, he was brought much shame to his life. Proverbs 29.23 Proverbs 29.23 states, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. That is, pride will lead to disgrace because foolish decisions are made in pride. I'm reminded of the story of when the war took place between the states, commonly called the Civil War, or the war of northern aggression, either way. There was a Texan, a young Texan, who decided he was going to enlist and help the Confederate cause. He announced to his town with great pride, we won't be gone long, because we're going to lick them Yankees with broomsticks. And he walked away from his town to join the Confederacy. Four years later, when the fighting was finally over, the young man came home, shamed and humbled, a beaten man. One of his neighbors asked him, Hey, old Texan, what happened? I thought you were going to beat them Yankees with broomsticks. We could have, replied the young Texan, except we couldn't get them to fight with broomsticks. <laughs> Friends, a man's pride will bring him low, bring him shame. Number three, pride will bring God's disapproval. Pride will bring, bring God's disapproval. Proverbs 16.5. Proverbs 16 and verse number five. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Here the Bible says that the Lord derides or mocks those who are arrogant scorners. This is a picture of the unregenerate man and his pride and arrogance and his rebellion against God. God says that man there, he himself becomes an abomination to the Lord. This is Pharaoh. This is Pharaoh when he's confronted by Moses. And Moses tells him that the Lord God said, let my people know, go. 
Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Pharaoh himself thought he himself was a God-man. Who is Jehovah to order me, the God-man of Egypt, what to do? Pharaoh became an abomination to God. And God destroyed him and displayed his justice and his glory. Think of Korah, who scorned God and the authority that God gave to God's man Moses. Both he and his family went to the graves alive in Numbers 16. Think of Goliath, who cursed the God of Israel in 1 Samuel 17. No one could take down this Philistine champion. And yet God uses a little boy, a boy with five stones to take the giant down. For the giant became an abomination to God in his pride. Pride will bring God's disapproval. We see this over and over and over. Number four. Pride will bring destruction. Pride will bring destruction. Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haunty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 15, 25 says the same thing. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. That is, because of pride, it will bring ultimately destruction in a man's life. A wonderful illustration of this was mentioned in Sunday school this morning of Herod. Herod the Great, one of the kings. In Acts chapter 12, the Bible tells in Acts 12, 21, that it was upon a set day that Herod, who was arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne and made an oration to the crowd, a great speech. And in the midst of the speech to the people, the people, I would assume not that he was a great speaker, but the people were actually trying to kiss up to him. And so the people began to shout as he is speaking, and the crowd is shouting, and they yell at the top of their voices, this crowd, it is the voice of a God, not of a man. And Herod is eating it up. He doesn't stop them. More. Build up my self-esteem. More. And he's taking all the praise and the glory that belongs to Almighty God. And the Bible tells us, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. The angel of the Lord killed him because he gave not God the glory. Now Josephus tells us that he got eaten up with worms from the inside that caused his organs somehow to protrude and come out. I don't want to know the details of that. But he died a disgusting and horrible death. His pride brought him to ultimate destruction. These are the characteristics and consequences of pride. Now thirdly and lastly, the response of God's people is the call to biblical humility. The call to biblical humility. Of all the biblical examples of humility, the greatest by far is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In the book of Philippians, as Paul is speaking and trying to get unity among the people of God at the church at Philippi, he speaks of the attitude that God's people ought to have. It is the mind that was in Christ. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He says, if there's going to be unity within the, among the people of God, there needs to be humility. If there's going to be humility among the people of God is when God's people have the mind of Christ, who though he had the glories of heaven. He had the worship of heaven. He humbled himself from being praised by the angels of heaven to come to this earth to be jeered and cursed by the lips of men. From having the praises and the glories of heaven to having the mockery and the cruel beatings on earth. If there was anyone who humbled himself, it was the Lord Jesus. Jesus described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as being meek and lowly in heart. Certainly he knew 
when to be firm and when to rebuke others for God's glory. But he's also truly humble of heart. While Christ was here on earth, he was in complete submission to the will of the Father, even though he himself is fully God. Think about Jesus on the night of his betrayal. In John 13, we know from the other Gospels that on that night of his betrayal, the disciples are arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest? Peter is saying, I'm the greatest. Why? Because I talk the most. Thomas is, I'm the greatest. Andrew, no. John, no. I'm always closest to him. Everyone was thinking they're the greatest. In the midst of ever all the disciples exalting themselves as they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover, no one has taken the position of servant in order to wash the feet of the other disciples. It was in that environment of God's people discussing their own greatness that Jesus takes a towel and he takes a bowl of water and he gets on his knees, the very divine Son of God, begins to wash the stinky, perspiring feet of the disciples. And it is in that example that Jesus gives of true love, how it humbly serves others. It's not just saying that you love someone with your mouth, but showing it in your works in humble service for others. One of Christ's greatest display of humility was the washing of the disciples' feet. If we could give a Definition of New Testament humility, I think one given by Dr. Stuart Scott, an excellent book he writes on being a biblical husband. He puts in there, the mind of Christ, a servant's mindset, a focus on God and others, a pursuit of the recognition and the exaltation of God, and a desire to glorify and please God in all things and by all things he has given. It is a Christ-like attitude. It's not, humility is not so much, oh, I'm humble. Oh, I'm so terrible. I'm so rotten. Oh, can you help me? Oh, I can't help anyone. I'm so terrible. Oh, oh, woe is me. Woe. I need help. I wish I could help, but I'm too low to help. Oh, oh, is me. Woe. No, humility is just simply not thinking about yourself. Thinking that Christ is the great one in the kingdom, not you and I. We are doulos. We're slaves of Christ. It's really not about you and it's not about me, it's about him. Humility is exalting and glorifying him, not self. This is biblical humility. In Luke 18, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of very prideful religious people. And the Bible says, And he spake a parable unto certain ones, was trusted in themselves, and despised others. Two men, went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now when he said this to the crowd, it's not like us when we think of Pharisee, self-righteous people. In the first century when someone said Pharisee, people said, oh, the most godly of our society. Oh, the Pharisees. Oh, they're the ones with the phylactery on their forehead. Oh, those are the holy ones of our society. When Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican, people said, oh, the Pharisee, oh, the publican, oh, the public tax gatherer, the big betrayer of his people, the one who works for the Romans, though he's a Jew, to extort money from other Jews to give to the Romans and to himself. Tax gatherer, lowest of the low. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am like other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax gatherer. Oh, I'm going to get sick. Oh, I, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I mean, they tithe all of their money. They even tithe their herbs. They tithe their chilies. You believe that? Their pepper. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Literally, definite article, the sinner. He saw himself as the worst of worst as he cast himself at the mercy of God, understanding that God has a right to save him or to justly cast him to hell at his will. In humility, God had broken him. I tell you, Jesus says of the publican, that man went to his house justified rather than the other. And the crowd, oh, no, yes. Yes, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Only to the humble. Only to the the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord offered him no grace but law. He gave law to him. Why? Because grace is for those who have been humbled. Not for the arrogant and the proud that think they can do it. They just need a little help from God. No man can. There is no self-resurrection of a man, nor is there any self-salvation of a man. He must have life from God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is what God calls of us. Not to go around beating ourselves, oh, I'm so terrible. No, it's just thinking about the Lord in others and yourself last. This is the call to biblical humility that God calls every one of us tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so grateful for your precious word. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to open up the book of Proverbs, looking at the character and the characteristics of the prideful, the consequences of pride, the call to true biblical humility, to love you, to serve you in faithfulness, to serve others, and not to think of self, but to think of the Savior who is so worthy to be served, to be adored, to be glorified. Lord, help us that we would respond, Lord, looking at the truth of what you say of pride, to repent of our own pride and in humility to serve you and to serve others, that you would receive the glory and the honor and all credit. We thank you, Father, for your word and the instruction we have received from it. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts, our life, and the life of your church. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.